housekeeping items here as we get started. In the transition, it looks like everybody's okay. In the transition, you have, should have received a um, worship folder, and you should have also received a card with a scripture passage on it. Uh, you will need both of those for this liturgical journey we're going to take together. Um, and as you pay attention to the worship folder in particularly, I noticed that at a few points um, below the song titles, you'll find some instructions for singing. Sometimes it will tell you we're going to do something in unison or parts, or it will be done by a soloist. Uh, so just watch for those when they appear. And then as far as the, the card goes with the scripture passage, um, a little bit later in the service, one of the things we're going to do is actually enter into a time of lament. And uh, you will be instructed at that time to stand and read aloud the passage that is on your card, um, or to voice your own lament, or perhaps to voice lament on behalf of others. Uh, that will be done sort of all together in some form of cacophonous sound. Uh, so just uh, be prepared and we'll instruct you when that time comes. I'm not trying to make you anxious or nervous about our worship time together. Uh, I simply want all of us to uh, feel comfortable as we do as we this morning. In the next hour, if you've looked at the worship folder at all, you may notice that we're going to be placing ourselves into a story. We're placing ourselves in the narrative of the Old Testament with the community of Israel who found itself in a strange and unfamiliar place called Babylon. And in Babylon, the culture in which they found themselves was not really familiar. The political systems that were around them were inhospitable and we might even say corrupt. And yet, this Israelite community was called to recall the past deeds of God, of Yahweh, who had brought them out of slavery and out of bondage. And so each time they gathered for worship, they were essentially participating in a political act, reminding themselves that their allegiance was to Yahweh, not to all the other gods of Babylon. If we make that to today's time, we could say that the cultures in which we find ourselves are at times unfamiliar, strange, uncharted territory. Some of the political systems around us, be they governmental, church, or wherever else, are corrupt and are in need of repair. Yet every time we gather for worship, we too are participating in a political act. We're reminding ourselves that our allegiance is to the triune God of the Christian tradition, the one who is still about the business of restoring this broken world in which all of us live. So come, let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our God and worship and gracious God this morning. We acknowledge that your spirit is already hovering in this place. May that spirit awaken our depths in this hour so that we might leave this place and become the agents by which your kingdom flourishes in the world.
great nation is roused from the end of the earth. Equipped with bow and spear, they are cruel. They show no mercy. Their horsemen sound like the roaring sea, arrayed in battle formation against the daughter of Zion. We have heard reports of them and are panic-stricken. Distress overwhelms us, pain like that of a woman in labor. Do not come into the fields. Do not walk on the road. The enemy's sword terrorizes at every turn. My people, put on funeral clothes and roll in the ashes. Weep and wail as for an only child because the destroyer will suddenly descend.
So today, turn your ear toward us and hear our cries of sorrow. As we sit here and worship you, God, nations, governments, and corrupt political parties rage against one another. Innocent men, women, and children are killed daily by destructive wars that have lasted too long and need to be stopped. When, oh God, will the wolf lie down with the land? When will the people stop destroying one another on your holy mountain? When will we be able to sing your song in this strange and bitter
trees where I have scattered them in my fierce anger and rage. I will bring them back to this place to live securely. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one mind so that they may worship me all the days of their lives for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them to never stop treating them graciously. I will put into their hearts a sense of awe for me so that they won't turn away from me. I will rejoice in treating them graciously. And I will plant them in this land faithfully with all my heart and being.
God's power have been guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice in joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of faith, the salvation of your souls. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Mississippi because 
She could sing well. She could count to four. And that's important. Because she grew up United Methodist and that made everybody else think she was a little more sophisticated than the rest of them. For those reasons, Miss Sally was asked to be our volunteer song leader. And week after week, we talked about what I was going to say and what we were going to sing. And then it just sort of set the trajectory. David Bowen, my friend, is sitting right over here. Week after week, we get to lead God's people in worship. And I have great regard for what you do. I've heard enough conversations in the hallways to suspect that some of you don't trust pastors. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't let that get in the way of what I'm about to say. <laughs> this has been a feast for me. And now I offer this foolishness we call preaching. First to God as an offering. And then to us. Because I have not believed. God yet speaks to his churches and to his church. This is the first among music ministers. I've had a number of firsts in my ministry. I remember the first time that I was invited to preach in a predominantly African-American church. Who in my line? It was totally African-American. The church was the Starlight Missionary Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi. There's about 45 people there. The pastor, Cornelius McClellan, was called Bishop McClellan. I'm still trying to figure out the polity behind all of that. But he invited me to come preach at his church, and I was eager to accept that invitation. Went there, Sunday morning worship. It's quite different than the way we worshiped at First Baptist, where they were a little more starchy across town. You know? A lot of passion. Little daughter Molly Catherine was there sitting on about the second pew and I was sitting up on the dais and I could see her. She procured a funeral home fan. And she looked just as natural as a be. <laughs> she, she kicked her little patent leather shoes off and she put her stocking feet up under the first pew where three tambourines were being scored. And she started keeping time in those tambourines. Proximity, and they beamed with delight at this little girl who took to it like a fish in water. And we worshiped the Lord. I didn't know when I was supposed to preach. I mean, I was used to a backward, you know. You guys are good at that kind of thing. I got Eric, I mean, I got a little folder from him. I didn't know when I was supposed to talk. They didn't give that out Starlight Michigan Baptist Church. I just kind of had to wait on Hope they kill me. Bishop McClellan was sitting right next to me. And he told me. And this is how he told me. He was sitting there in a, in a big, beautiful suit. He invited me to wear a robe. I don't normally wear robes to preach in, so I was hot and uncomfortable. But I was there. And this precious man leaned over and he put his hand on my leg. And he said, Son,
couldn't help myself. Because these folks were fun and they were so sweet to my little baby girl. And so I went to the pulpit and I said, Your, your dear pastor has instructed me not to be peculiar. But I read here in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a peculiar people. And it just exploded. <laughs> we took off after that. We, we are. We are a peculiar one.
father regarded people who did not go to church as lazy and morally suspect. You were to go to church whether you gave a wit about God or not. Those good old days, thank God they're almost gone. The social pressures that pushed people into the church following world wars and great depressions now push people right on them today. There are no blue laws left. The parks and recreation departments in your hometown don't sit around wondering about Wednesday nights and Sunday afternoons anymore. You can be elected constable, dog catcher, and mayor in most cities across the South and the West and not be somebody's deacon or elder or part of their ministry. It didn't used to be that way. But it is now. Nuns as a religious category, as in N-O-N-E-S, nuns. It's a rapidly growing religious demographic. You know what a nun is, don't you? Someone when faced with a questionnaire that says, Christian, Jew, Hindu? None! Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian? None! There was a day in the world that you lived in where if you were a nun, you were a nobody at the country club. Now, now you can run the show. You can conduct business. You can marry and, and give in marriage. You can do everything everybody else does. Those old days of paving normalcy limited with Christianity have said goodbye to us. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. But at least those of us who have the golfing plate, and you do as well as I do, scratching our hands, thinking, what shall we do? If our calling is not to prop up an institution, what shall we do? Well, let me submit to you that we should deeply immerse ourselves in the faith wants to live. That we should linger over the words of the prophets and the apostles. That we should hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to the churches again. That we should hear the of Jesus at the door of those churches that he was edged out of for generations. Because pagan normalcy was more popular than Jesus. We should stop long enough to listen for the doctor. And fling the door wide open as if it was a stone resting against a sepulcher. And again, worshiping Jesus in his own loose, not the one on the felt board. And how did those cantankerous prophets and apostles speak? Well, Paul called us colonists of heaven, of Peter, exiles, sojourners, strangers in Babylon. If that is who we are, then worship is a deviant art. You look like a bunch of deviants. <laughs> worship is a deviant art. It breaks with pagan normalcy and it's fueled, it is fueled by a godly sense of alienation. Willimon and Harawas suggest 
that we should gather, that we should sing the songs of Zion in a land that does not know Zion's songs. The rhythm of praise is the language of hope. And peculiar folks like us need hope more than we need oxygen. We can borrow our language of praise from those who wrote those songs in their own blood. And we can sing them with the angels. Just a few moments ago, we read the words of Peter. I hope you heard them deep down. Those ancient words, those ancient words point us to the reality that is Christ the Lord. A reality that encompasses all of our breathing, our sleeping, our rising, our working, our play, our past, our future, and our those words give us ample reason to praise. And you may have shuffled in here this week, bone-weary, needing a reason to praise God. I said, David, what do these, these folks need to hear? He said, Matt, he said, you just need to help them connect to why they got started in the first place. Take them back to that, to that, little, that little place. That little place where they experience God. To remind them what they do. And why do we do what we do? Why do we lead people to say, why do we preach? Because of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because of the cross. And the empty tomb. And the blessed Lord. The words we just read, they tell us why we can praise God. For instance, verse 3, it says we can praise God because of our new birth. That we can look back as the people of God. So we have been forgotten, born into a realm of living hope by the resurrection. Do you still believe those crazy words? If you don't, go do something else for a while. Because we're crazy word people. And if we're going to be peculiar, if we're going to rest setting aside paying normalcy for gospel life, we've got to believe. We've got to believe in a God who birthed us into a realm of living hope. We can look back in praise the because of what God has done. Recently, Will Campbell died. Many of you probably follow the life of Will Campbell. Sort of a cantankerous old southern preacher. He's the only white man present. Southern Christian Leadership Conference family. Strong leader. He was fired at Ole Miss as the chaplain of the University of Mississippi for playing ping pong with an African American. He gave his life all the way through, calling us to be there. He made some mistakes along the way, and he cussed like a drunk sailor. My grandmother never liked that about him. <laughs> but after his death, everybody started thinking about, talking about, remembering Brother Will. And there was a great story that came out. It was one of his favorite stories. It was about a pastor that he met when he was a young pastor in Louisiana. His pastoral career lasts about two and a half years. It's about all that they can take of it. But it was around this, this older pastor that was kind of known as a 
man of sloppy but sincere faith. Not your typical preacher. They asked this old man one day, why are you still a pastor? I know everything there is in the mountains. Why are you still a pastor? And he said, young man, young man, it's because I've been called by God, you fool.
thank you for these friends, these fellow servants. I thank you for your love. Lord, as they sharpen their lives for your glory, I pray that you would whisper into the deep places of their heart your stubborn and abiding love for them. You demonstrate that love in Christ. Help us to see him in all of his beauty. We pray in his name.
and hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Help the suffering, honor all. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. With God's help, we The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you forever.
As we come to this conclusion of our worship time, I wanted to remind you of just a couple of things as we uh, continue our day. This afternoon in this room at 5.15, there will be a, a brief recital by some of the students that you met this week. Some of the better students will be singing. This will be more like a recital from an academic kind of setting. And so you've asked at different times, uh, these students, I've never musicians, we'd like to hear some of them. And you'll get a chance to do that this afternoon. Also this evening in this room at 7.30, there will be a conference-wide rehearsal, a choir rehearsal where we will all become the choir and Dr. Jerry Blackstone will mold us into uh, being some sort of community of singing in some uh, ensemble. So I hope that you'll be back for that this evening. And following that, there will be a dessert reception. I'm going to ask Clayton Ellis now to tell us just a little bit about the offering that we're giving this week and the way that we are offering back something. You guys have a good time? Brandon's done a good job. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, about five months ago, I went from New York City to accept a position at Baylor that has already made a deep impact on my life. Last week, I was able to meet with a parent and a former student. Uh, the parent's name is Jane. She was a music major and graduate of uh, Baylor in 1979. And her son was with us as well, Josh. And he just graduated this past May. Josh was not a music major, but he did participate in the CCNS, working with Randall and singing in the choir. On her coffee day, uh, Jane began to uh, talk about how she was concerned for her son Josh uh, while he was a baby. He was happy with the school, uh, but he, like a lot of 20-somethings, liked direction and didn't know what he wanted to do. So as Jane began to reminisce about her experience in the music school, she uh, spurred her son, as a good word, to join the CCNS and uh, go on this mission trip with, with uh, Randall. And it was at that point that she began to tear up, as a lot of others do, and this was really special. She teared up and she looked at me and she said, the CCMS saved my son's life. And immediately I looked at Josh. Now Josh is 21, and I was expecting you know, him to roll his eyes or for him to make some sort of smart comment to belittle his mother's passion. Uh, but I was very surprised, because with humility, at the very young age of 21, nodded his head yes. Josh, like a lot of students, was able to go on this trip uh, on a scholarship, which today costs typically, typically around $3,500. And what's, what's extraordinary is Josh was able to impact the lives of hundreds of adults and children by serving the Lord through music, just like you do. As you uh, feel led to give, as we take the offering back, I would ask that you remember and that you know without a shadow of a doubt that 100% of your dollar is not going to just impact the life of one student, but it's going to be impacting the lives of hundreds of people that come in contact with that student on every mission trip. Baylor's sole existence is to be an extension of the church and to serve others. And we would love for you to join us as we embark on our journey to impact our world. Thanks, Clay. I couldn't uh, amen that more. Thank you so much. Two last things I want to mention. One is start thinking about your evaluations. We really depend on what you feed back to us that matters so much. Tomorrow at the luncheon, there will be evaluations on the tables. You have them in your book also, but they also will be on the tables. We hope that you'll start thinking now about what you can tell us so that we can do better. 
and uh, serve you in more effective ways. The last thing I remind you is to go to our website sometime today, not to our website, but to our Facebook page, and there are dozens of photos there, and what we want you to do is tag yourself in those photos. Uh, we tagged a bunch of people, but we're not friends with all of you, uh, so we're not able, not that we're not friends with you, but we're not friends with you. And so we're not able to tag all of you, and so I hope that you'll go and tag yourself and tag people that you know, and that other people can uh, understand what's going on here. So we want that to be um, an important time as well. Let's remain now for the uh, post. Thank you.